This morning we're continuing in this, these stories of the patriarchs from the second half of the book of Genesis. And as I said with the kids this morning, our, young, our younger disciples, we're continuing with this story of Joseph that was introduced last Sunday. The son of Jacob, whose name is now Israel, the one who got that coat of many colors. And that this morning we're reaching the climax of Joseph's story, which began years ago when his brothers in that fit of jealousy threw him into a pit, then sold him into slavery where he would toil before being hit over and over again with acts of injustice. Joseph now finds himself in Egypt at this point of the story, at Pharaoh's right hand. He is no longer at the bottom, but he's at the very top. And his brothers now stand before him. And Joseph has a moment to choose whether he forgives or acts in vengeance. Now, before we get to this chapter 45, he does act in a little bit of vengeance, and we're going to talk about that later. But Joseph does both, which makes for a very awkward moment of reconciliation. We turn now to the text. Genesis chapter 45, beginning with verse 1, and I will just be reading through verse 15 this morning. Listen now for the word of God. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. For you shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin See that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how that, you, how that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. While Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. 
This is the word of the Lord. If you would pray with me, let us pray. God of grace and God of glory, God of the word, the word made flesh, the word that is then inspired and sent to flow through each of our hearts as we hear them. Lord, I pray that these words that we've heard and the words that we will continue to hear may not be of me, but they might be of you, that your spirit might take hold of them and inspire each of us through its hearing. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this story of Joseph is another one of those popular stories from Scripture. And for good reason. It's a story full of intrigue and family drama and the plight of one man who is repeatedly knocked down but ends up on top. It makes me think of Rocky. You're a million to one shot. But Joseph's story begins with a father who favors him over all his other children. Not a good parenting decision. Well, then those jealous brothers, they plot to kill him. They end up throwing him into a pit. They change their minds and they sell him into slavery. Joseph eventually ends up in the home of this guy named Potiphar as his slave servant. There, while trying to avoid Mrs. Potiphar's attempts of seduction, Joseph is then falsely accused of attacking her and then thrown into prison. Injustice after injustice, but then from prison... He is miraculously released based on this incredible ability to interpret dreams. He draws the fascination and the admiration of the Pharaoh himself and is thus elevated to an impressive position in Egypt. He now sits in charge of Egypt's entire food store. He maintains this place of power that his brothers could never conceive of could never conceive of until now. And then Joseph has a choice to make. He comes face to face with these brothers. Forgive them or teach his brothers a lesson. He chooses ultimately to reconcile with them and to reveal his true identity. But this story of forgiveness or reconciliation, it's not clean and straightforward. It is awkward. In the throes of famine, Jacob, Israel is his name now, the father of so many. He sends his son to Egypt to find food. There's no food. Well, since Joseph is in charge of doling out the food of their storehouses to the citizens for those who can afford it, for those who have none, the brothers are required to go to him. But they don't recognize him. And why would they? The last time they saw Joseph, he was in the bottom of a pit, a young boy, scared. Joseph then pretends to not know them. Joseph accuses them of spying. He knows they haven't. He throws them in jail. He holds one brother ransom until they bring back Jacob's youngest son. You see, Jacob didn't send Benjamin. He was the baby of the family. He was treasured. Joseph knows that. Send me your youngest son. After his brothers oblige, they bring Benjamin to him. Joseph plants a silver cup in his bag and then falsely accuses this young, scared boy of stealing. And there in Egypt, the punishment is death. 
Can you imagine the fear? It's not until the brother Judah steps forward. You might remember him. He's the one that said, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery instead. All those years ago, well, Judah steps forward. He pleads for Benjamin's life, not just for their sake, but for the sake of their father's heart and mind. Joseph's father. It's in this moment when the climax comes to the pinnacle and Joseph cried out with wails of biblical proportion. It says that he sends everyone out, but everyone can still hear him. He is crying that loud. All of Pharaoh's court still hears him wailing. You see, Joseph has been through the unimaginable. Scripture has shown us a man starts out as a boy, but he very quickly turns into a man who has been relatively strong and controlled, it seems, through his awful ordeal. It doesn't tell us he breaks apart, he can't live, he can't go on. He endures. But here in this moment, he loses it. He lets everything out. He sets his royal status aside and then reveals the identity of who he truly is to these brothers, terrified. Now, if we were selective in our reading of this story, we could take some verses out and show a beautiful example of reconciliation without any hindrances, a real happy ending to this dramatic story. But the reality is that reconciliation, forgiveness, coming to terms with the immense differences and incredible oppression, it is complex, it is messy, and it can be so awkward. Joseph reminds us forgiveness truly is that miracle, but getting there can be awkward, painful, emotional. We all make choices, follow through with decisions that make life awkward and uncomfortable. We put ourselves in positions where we wish we could take it back. We share that Facebook post, oh, I wish I could take that back. We say those words, it's so awkward, we wish we could take it back. We hurt someone, we wish we could take it back. Reconciliation is one of those things, though, that's at the very heart of Scripture. Everything is about reconciliation. It's one of those things, though, that I believe is at the very heart of our very existence. For friends, life is out of whack. Life is off kilter. Life is awkward and messy. But there is something there inside each of us that is working constantly so hard to pull everything back together, to put us back in relationship with each other by way of putting us back in relationship with the Creator. Creation with Creator. Because it's out of whack. It's awkward. Reconciliation, by definition, is resigning to something that was not previously desired. You didn't want to do it, but you did the work to do it. It means joining together with a previously known enemy. Reconciliation means working through the mess to reach a point of completion of unity. 
We can imagine all the plans that Joseph might have made while he was sweating it out in servitude, while he was bowing down in places of abuse and harassment, while he toiled away in a prison cell. Plans to make his brothers pay. Brothers who were supposed to love him no matter what. Yeah, he wasn't the best younger brother, but he didn't deserve that. So now is his chance. All these years, Joseph toys with these unsuspecting brothers. He pretends not to know them, threatens not only their chance of buying food, of surviving through this unforgiving famine, the threat, but he threatens the life of their youngest brother, and by extension, he threatens the weakened heart of an already grieving father waiting at home. Throughout Joseph's life, he has been despised, falsely accused, enslaved, harassed, but now he's on top and he has the power to do a little damage. But we also see that throughout everything that Joseph has has gone through, he never had a direct word from God as things went from bad to worse. Yes, he has dreams, but no word of comfort or promise is extended to him as he fights every day for his life. He is hit blow by blow in the midst of a world that doesn't seem to care. But now, after this little show of revenge, Scripture shows us that all Joseph can see is how God has been at work through it all. It's awkward and it's hard, but God nevertheless worked through the mess. Through this family who made awful decisions, God didn't put them there. Decisions from his family, his brothers put them there. God works through a family who had lived through so much hate, where they've now come to a place of humility, of gentleness, of forgiveness. We hear in the previous verses the brothers understand what they've done. They don't want to hurt anybody anymore. Joseph saw God working through it all. Through ordination in our church, as we are going to elect new officers in the coming months, one of the vows we make as we become a minister or a, or a deacon or an um, elder is that we vow in our own life to seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to love our neighbors, and to work for the reconciliation of the world. It's a pretty big vow. Well, in reading this story of Joseph, I am reminded that Scripture most often refuses to give us just a checklist of the things we can do to achieve this reconciliation. I am reminded that God instead seeks to use every manner of human to contribute to this awkward and messy work of reconciling the world to what God intends. Not what we intend, but what God intends. And so as we take a look around each week, we are pummeled with stories showing us the awkwardness of this world. The debates that are hinged on disrespect, the uses of power to oppress and abuse, the words of hate which are hurled this way and that that are used to defame and to hurt. 
There's story after story of humans devaluing another human and that flood our creation every day and yet. God is weaving a power of goodness and of glory through all the messy, awkward ways of this world. I think a beautiful example of how that goodness can and does weave its way through the awful parts of our world, the worst parts of our world, is this story told by Corrie Ten Boom. You might have heard of her. She is a survivor of the Holocaust, has written a book and done talks all over. Well, she writes in her book in this way, a story that she tells. She says, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to the defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that's where forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now, he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled with my pocketbook rather than take that hand he would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? 
It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I had ever done. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world to rebuild their lives. No matter what the physical scars, those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I still stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did... An incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm, sprang into these joined hands, and then this healing warmth, it seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. I forgive you. This work of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of coming face to face with the parts of this life that hurt us, that scar us. It's awkward. It's messy. It's hard. And at times, it's scary. But we are led to do it by this Spirit. We are even led to the point of weeping and wailing on a biblical level at times. Because in that true moment of reconciliation, that one where God is the one at work, the promise that we have been given, that promise given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and now to Joseph, and now to us, the promise that we have been given to be loved unconditionally, to be filled with a goodness, it's no longer a dream but it is truth and it is reality and it is here right now and it is intended for every single one of you and every single person and part of creation out there. God intends it. And to God be the glory. For in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we offer it. Amen.